Joel for uh, coming on the show. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. And anyway, I'm talking too much, so please enjoy the episode. I've been involved with game development now as a composer for probably seven or eight years. Um, and before then, I was probably, you know, games have always been a part of my life. And I I was raised on Nintendo and Super Nintendo and RPGs. And, um, you know, kind of in my adult life, it's been a little harder to, you know, to find games that, that kind of have something new to explore, but also feed that nostalgia that... That kind of was the reason I played games as a kid. And I think, you know, so before I became involved with with games as a composer, I sort of thought of games as things that were available at Target. (laughs) Like if it wasn't available kind of at a retail store, it was kind of off my radar. I didn't really know about Steam. I didn't really know about digital releases. And so um, I... I, I just sort of started... Like I think I'd played like Tales of Vesperia. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like this... This kind of this kind of does it for me in terms of fulfilling what I'm looking for as an adult, but also feeling like games I've played in the past. And so I was like, I'm going to do like there's got to be more available out there. Like I'm going to do more of a deep dive into like you know kind of just to see what's out there. And I started just doing some internet searches, and this game Dark Souls came up a lot. Like this was probably around 2012, 2013. I think it had been out. Um, it had been out maybe what time, what year did Dark Souls come out? Was it 2010? It came out in 2011, like right up next to 2011. Skyrim, okay, if, if you can imagine that. That's okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so and that's probably why I never saw it. Like it, if it, I never saw it at a retail store because because um, it was probably in the bargain bin by then, um, unfortunately. And so, but this game came up a lot, and so I went and I I kind of dug through and I found it and I bought it. And like so many people, I mean, I feel like it's now it's such a trope where I turned it on. Um, I got through the character creation menu. I love the music and the, and like in the background, you know, while you're creating your character and in the menu screen. Um, and I got into the undead asylum. I, I remember going up the stairs and getting bowled over by like that giant iron ball. (laughs) That's kind of like your first trap. And this giant message, you died came up on the screen. And I was like, that is the most garish, like terrible design choice. Like I've ever seen. I was like personally (laughs) offended by it. I was like, what a stupid thing to put in a game. I hate this, (laughs) like, but I'm going to keep playing. And I did. And I think I got like maybe to the, maybe to the first black Knight, or I got to that, that like spiked kind of like boar in the, in the undead parish. And I was like, I don't get this. This is totally not for me. And I turned it, I turned it off. Like, I was like, okay, I tried that. It's not for me. And, and then I don't know what made me came back to it, but literally a year went by and I had broken my arm skateboarding. So like, it was the first nice day of spring. I live in Chicago and I decided to go around the block and we had this terrible winter that just ripped up the pavement everywhere. And my front wheels, it like dug in and it, I got thrown and I broke, I like shattered my elbow. And so I was like, for a couple of weeks, I was like, I couldn't really do much, but luckily I still had some like manual dis- dexterity. So 
was working on a soundtrack and literally composing it with one hand because I, I kind of couldn't really use the keyboard, but I could play games. And so I was like, I'm going to give this another shot. So I did. And I think there was something, just something about maybe having no other options at the time, or maybe just a little bit of time having gone by and, and having my perspective tweaked a little bit. There was something about it that really clicked with me. Um, and I always have appreciated that just as a, not just as a creator, but as a, as a fan, it, like there's different kinds of m- movies and music and games that they elevate your tastes in a way. And I feel like dark souls did that for me. And I think for a lot of people, like it, it, it isn't an immediate thing where you click with it right away or a lot of people don't, but I think for me, having kind of had a taste, given it some time and, and coming back to it and thinking, you know, there's gotta be something about this game. Cause it was the, it was the time where you could not have a conversation about games and game development without bringing up dark souls. <laughs> Every um, single gaming and, podcast was just talking about it constantly. It felt like in, yeah. the, in that, that time frame. Yeah. Or you go into YouTube just like looking for videos and it's just all dark Souls stuff. Absolutely. And that's probably why I found, I, that's why I came up around that time. Cause that was the time where I was like, I'm going to look, I'm going to go one step deeper. And I guess Dark Souls does count. I mean, it's not an indie game. It's definitely a AAA game, but but it feels it takes the same risks that I think a lot of indie development teams take. Um, and it, and I think for me, I, I was I wasn't ready for it when I tried it, and there was something about it that that I feel like in in, in a lot of ways, I, it, the series has ruined games for me now because I they're <laughs> they're the standard by which I judge everything else. Yeah, there was that period from um, <clears throat> I started Dark Souls a couple of months after it came out, and then for like a good cu- solid couple of years, it was I just had Souls itis. Like I couldn't, I would pick up another oh, yeah. video game and be like, "Why am I not playing Dark Souls right now?" <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. Well, how, how have you ever? How many times have you Google? I shouldn't ask you how you have you ever. I should say how many times because I've done it. Games like Dark Souls. <laughs> and oh then, like, yeah, these lists come up. You know, and and there's there's enough, but there's they don't they don't ever ever feel quite the same because it's they are so much of a there's such a great example of there's so much more than a sum of their parts. Um, and I get that's why I I'm such a staunch defender of when when people start to criticize the Soul series for its difficulty. I think that is the that seems to be the main PR hook. I think that that people and have kind of gravitated toward because it's a you know it's a it's it's a great hook like these games are really fucking hard and like you're going to bounce off of them and but there's so much more than that and i don't i honestly don't feel like they're any harder than like the original zelda was when i was a kid and and i think that that's what that is kind of the heart and soul of the feeling i experience when i play is like it makes me feel like a kid playing Zelda for the first time, but, but it is very, it's still very much its own thing. I remember growing up and um, like discovering the legend of Zelda on Nintendo for the first time and having like, it was at my cousins or something and I didn't have the game, but like immediately going home and like pestering my parents, like I have to have this, like I, this is a requirement yeah. for me to live from now on. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and absolutely. Part of that was like that, uh, and like once you get it, like there was so many, so much weird stuff in it. Um, very similar to Dark Souls, where you just wanted to talk about it with people. Like, did you find this? Oh, I got to this place early, or I found this weird thing that let me do this. Did you 
do any of that with Dark Souls? Did you have any in real life friends or like any internet forums that you were going to to be like, what is what is resistance or what do I do with this Black Knight in the Berg or anything like that? Yes, I and I most of so I I think and I've heard you talk about to a few guests about the schoolyard phenomenon of, and I think the Zelda corollary is like is absolutely. I mean, it, it totally hits home with me because I remember talking about, I think the item in Zelda that I remember was like the one that was sort of shrouded in mystery that I think unlocked most of the world was the whistle and it was really hard to find. And you can only really like, I remember being like, oh, well, so-and-so, so-and-so found the whistle. You should go talk to him. Like he's over by the swings, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was like, it was like the original wiki kind of. And a lot of my friends in real life, like don't either, you know, aren't, my game, like my game development friends and like are obviously really into games, but a lot of them bounced off Dark Souls. Um, and I don't have like, I have a few people that I talk to about it in real life, but mostly it's, it's like listening to podcasts and um, reading the wikis. And to me, I think that that, what I love about Dark Souls, and wh- I mean, one of the many things that I love about it is that um, it is very much, it's like, it's playing the game or the game is kind of like a metaphor for its own mechanics so that like it, it is one of the few games that explains that, you know, why you come back to life after you die. And it's, and this idea of madness, um, you know, like your character slowly going mad because they keep coming back to life. It's so self-referential because it's, it's a, it's a total description of how you feel as a player. So to me, like a game being self-aware like that is almost, it's at least for me. And I think what's so cool about this is everybody gets to decide how that works for them and, and how they want to interpret that. But for me, it was kind of like, it was almost permission to be like, no, this doesn't have to exist just in this world. Like, and that's why I felt like it was reading the wikis and, you know, Googling things and yeah, doing exactly like what you said, like Googling, like what's resistance to me, that was part of the whole experience for me. Um, especially because like one of the reasons I bounced off of it at first was because I didn't understand what all the stats were. And I think like a lot of people, I leveled everything evenly like, Oh, I'm going to, okay. Now I I gained, like I gained a level. I'm going to put, I'm going to put a stat into this so that everything was balanced. And I had no idea about min maxing or anything like that. So um, so my first couple characters, like certainly my first one where I ended my game and came back to it later, like that character, you know, was overleveled and completely like useless in terms of <laughs> stats. So yeah. to me, I definitely Googling know how you feel and, better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did you, did you end up having to restart like a couple times when you first played? Cause you're like, Oh, this, you get to a certain place and you're like, Oh my God, this character is garbage. Um, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but it, it took me close to 60 hours to get to Anorlando. Um, I got past the archers, um, which was, should have been, I think the main hurdle of the game at that point, being, being so new at it and not really understanding what I was doing. But, uh, the path from that, the bonfire on the inside, so layers bonfire to, and then getting to ONS and then like barely being able to defeat these silver knights in the way. And I was just like, I have done this all wrong. I'm just going to start over. And of course, you know, that dark souls knowledge compresses time theory of, or yeah, time. Yeah. Knowledge compresses time. Like got to where I was again with a much better build and like, four hours or something like it was ridiculous that's that's crazy yeah it's (laughs) it's amazing 
isn't it? Like, well, how did you realize that you were under leveled or like, or your stats were wrong? Because I, I kind of only realized by Googling it and like looking stuff up. And I don't think I would have realized it otherwise. I would have just, I might've actually bounced off the game again. At the, uh, at the time I was active on the, uh, something awful forums and there okay. was a, uh, there was a very big dark souls one thread, um, where I, I could not like, I was at the point with dark souls where I was just obsessively reading every single like thread I could find or watching every YouTube video. Like I was, I was consuming dark souls media at an alarming pace. Um, but yeah, just, you know, going to the dark souls one thread and being like, Hey, uh, I'm in Orlando and I've got this. And they were like, yeah, you, what are you doing? <laughs> like you can go back. And I'm like, I definitely don't want to go back. That doesn't seem right. I would rather start over. And they were like, okay, we'll start over. And then keep in mind that you need to level, you know, either strength or decks. <laughs> like don't, yeah. don't do both. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's that's a difficult thing because I think a lot of players get to that point and it's it's really difficult to convince somebody like, oh, if you start this game this entire game over again, like you'll you'll be, you'll go through it in an amazingly quick fashion and people are like, No, I don't wanna I just I have played thirty hours. I don't wanna start over. Like what does that mean? I don't wanna do that at all. <laughs> and I think that that is one of the more punishing design decisions in the game. Is like you you have to commit to these decisions. And if you don't you yeah you have to decide do you want to p- try to power through against this like meat wall that you've created for yourself or do you want to start over and i think starting over with the knowledge for those of us that have done it is it's a powerful thing it's amazing how much it compresses the experience because yeah i think i played 30 or 40 hours into I, at least one character maybe two and started over and yeah and then you just kind of blaze through it and, and even now, like you, you think about all of the lessons the game was teaching you and say the undead Berg. And now those lessons are so well internalized for people who have played it even just once. Like by the time you get around to new game plus, like those shield dudes that took you five minutes to kill because you didn't understand how to kick something like that, that's no yeah. longer exists. So you're just, you, you know, you, you may not even go kill them. You may just walk by them, which is another very yeah. valuable lesson to learn that you don't have to kill everything that you see. So yeah, just, yeah. If you're, if you're doing a boss run, you just, just run, <laughs> just run right through. <laughs> and run. I, and I do think, I mean, the, I have, I have done this when I've started every souls game, including bloodborne. Um, where I've kind of been like, I'm not going to look stuff up. I'm just going to read the messages because the messages are in the game. They're part of the world. And I've kind of, I've kind of tried to create this rule set for myself where I'm like, I'm going to try to just abide by the rules of the game. But inevitably I think, I think either I'll come up against something that feels too difficult or, or something that's like just inscrutable and I can't, like the blood starved beast and beast and bloodborne. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping too far ahead. No, no, no. Like, this, this is casual. I didn't realize man. you could, <laughs> you could summon Alfred. And like, to me that saved that, that was realizing you could summon Alfred for help with a really difficult fight pretty early in the game. And I'd been like, I'd just been just bouncing off this, the blood starved beast, such a difficult fight for whatever reason. And so realizing you could summon Alfred, which is something I, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't looked it up. I think kept me playing, but it, but it is like, even though I, I really do consider the wiki in the community and everything, everything around the world of souls as a necessary part of the game. Like to me, it really feels like it's part of the universe. Um, but at the same time there is this, and I don't know if I'm the only one that feels it. I, I imagine I'm probably not like there's this kind of guilt that I feel. It's like this, I call it like souls guilt where I like, 
I want it to be this standalone experience. I end up looking something up just because I think when you're just when you're immersed in it, it's intimidating, like to, you know, to get past a certain area or a boss um, and you need help. And I think asking for help in the real world is kind of like it's kind of like summoning in the game. But I've always felt kind of weird about it. Like, you know, after summoning Alfred, it was a piece of cake to get past the blood starving beast. And then I was like, I did it. Like now I can keep going with this game, but I've, it's always been a little bit of a struggle. Like, how did I, did I cheat? How do I feel? Um, and I, I mean, I, and I sort of think that like part of that, part of that feeling is, is a sort of an interesting part of playing these games for me is I get to think about my own philosophy about how much help do I need with, you know, how much help do I require with certain things and how do I feel about that? And, I like that dialogue. I think it's it opens kind of new pathways and in the way that I think experiencing something new like this series and and something challenging, I think kind of it can I think it can just make make you a better person at certain things. I mean even if it's just playing a game. <laughs> no, I I agree with that. Um something that I've discovered in my own life is like when I was when I was younger Um, and I was, you know, playing a lot of video games or you would, you know, you would buy the one, you would get the one video game for Christmas. And like, that was, that would be the video game that you would play. (laughs) Like maybe you got to go to Blockbuster, but that was, you had one game. And so like, you know, playing that game at its hardest difficulty was an accomplishment. And I carried that through into my, you know, twenties and thirties when these, you know, Dark Souls started coming out and all these other games started coming out and I would try to play them. Dark Souls specifically, like, oh, I'm not going to summon and I'm not going to do this stuff because, you know, that's that's cheating or whatever. And then like yeah. just realizing, oh, I've been doing this for an hour and a half. <laughs> like what am yeah. this isn't fun if I'm just like I could just summon and sure enough, I summon and we run through the boss and I have a whole other game to explore or the whole rest of the game to explore and then I'm having a good time again. And so like I've I've gotten very much relaxed as I've gotten older about about those kind of things. Like I just I just don't care anymore. Um, Me too. Like, there's nothing like getting older to be like, you know what? Let's just <laughs> let's cut our losses here. Because, yeah, because it's like I mean I have two kids, and it's like when I would be you know playing a Souls game, it would be pretty limited to like here's you know everyone's sleeping. I've got a couple hours, and do I want to spend this like banging my head against the wall, or do I want to spend this exploring a new area? And I think those kinds of decisions are like, you can apply those to all kinds of things. And I think going through those, those, that thought process in kind of a micro universe, like a game is a great way to, to think about your own approach to things like that. Yeah. Making those personal decisions for yourself. And, you know, I've always told people, not always, but I I try to tell people like, Hey, if you're playing, Dark Souls, any of them, or Bloodborne, like don't be afraid to summon and and you know get your friends in to help you find a community that's real friendly and get them to help you kill a boss or, or whatever. Because usually what happens is like after you finish these games, you're like I could probably do that by myself. Like I yes. I, w- I want to go back and do that now. And now all of that frustration of I can't do this like melts away, and you're just like I'm going to do this, and I don't really care about dying anymore. Like I just, it's just a thing that happens in the game, and I'm learning as I go. So. Yeah, and and you it kind of gives you it gives you courage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there is this like there is this thing with these games that they they can be so punishing that like just sort of it sometimes takes, you know, a minute or two to just to summon the strength to walk through that fog wall. 
or just like be like, all right, I'm going to give this one more try before I, before I rage quit for the <laughs> night or whatever. And I, when I was playing Bloodborne for the first time, it was, it, it had just come out and the summoning system really wasn't working very well yet. Um, and I, but I didn't want that to be a barrier. I mean, I, you could summon the NPCs, which I think are pretty rare in terms of summons. Yeah. Um, so I could summon Alfred, but I, I couldn't summon like other humans. And so I ended up playing through the whole, I ended up soloing the whole game except for the final fight. I was like, I'm just going to ring this bell. Like just, let's just see what happens. And then I did end up summoning someone for the, the last boss and technically the last two bosses. And I sort of felt weird about it because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> now I can't say that I've soloed this game. But I think that that's the, like, the whole concept of pride. It's like, how much pride are you going to bring to this? Like, and I think the humility aspect of it is is important. These games have taught me to be humble as a as a player. Yeah, because you have to kind of you know recognize some of your own strengths and weaknesses. Like a you know the the Sekiro conversation that's happening right now. Like I, I know a ton of people that are just literally questioning their physical ability to to play the game. Of like I may not be able to keep up with this. Like this seems too frantic for me. And then all, coming around the other side and, and realizing like, oh, wait, yes, I can. I just had to look at this through a, through a different angle or I had to do a different thing. And, you know, that was a lesson that, that Dark Souls and Bloodborne taught me, you know, specifically Bloodborne because Bloodborne had these huge, giant, impossible looking creatures. And I was like, well, I know I have to be able to kill them, but it ju- just don't see how I can do this as a player. Like this seems yeah. impossible. And then overcoming that hurdle, it, it does give you a sense of pride and accomplishment and, it's weird to say that about a video game, which is like, you know, not real, <laughs> like, but it, at the same time it is like, it's, it's still an accomplishment. Like I still have my YouTube videos up on YouTube about, Hey, I beat the, you know, whatever boss I'm, I'm proud of this. I want people to see it. So, yeah. And there's something special about that. I mean, yeah, part of me kind of wants to temper it by saying, well, it's just a video game, but it, but it isn't because it's, it's, it's a sort of a metaphor for, or it's, and it's, it's an example of how you conduct yourself in the face of challenge, I think. And I mean, that's one of those things that I want, like, I want my kids to learn that. Like if something seems really hard at first, don't give up. Like, and I think it souls, like, I, I think in every game, there's been at least two boss battles where you get into the boss arena and you just get wrecked, like in like three seconds. I mean, Capra is a pretty good example I think every boss in Sekiro is a good example <laughs> where, and I'm still banging my, I'm like, I actually put it back in the box for now. It's resting for me, but we can get to that in a minute. But I think that that idea of like, okay, this thing that wrecked me, like, I'm not going to let that win. I'm going to go back in and I'm going to figure out like how I need to change my thinking or my play style or both to come to terms with this. To, and that's, like even if it's even if the video game is a platform for it, I mean that's personal growth. Like, and I I think that's one of the coolest things about this series. The other thing I wanted to say about the, just the whole idea of the wikis is like, so I came to I came to Dark Souls. I played Dark Souls one first, um, and I and I sort of thought about it as a game that a game that was mechanically interesting. Like, you you know you you can play as a caster, you can play as a you know sword and board, and you it's a third person action RPG that's difficult and it's got this cool crumbling world. But like I kind of still thought about it as a game that was mostly mechanical because you can play through the whole thing and not know what's going on and like have a great time. And I think that's so cool. But reading the wikis made me realize there's oh my like there's a story here and it's a good story. 
And I would have never known that if I hadn't kind of dived in outside the game. And because it's, it's like layers, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. There's so much there. And it, for me, it hits on so many of my favorite aspects of storytelling and stories or kinds of stories. And I, to me that, but that was kind of inscrutable without knowing, you know, without someone telling me, Hey, look here. And like, or this is, this is what's going on in this game. Yeah. For the, for the most part, up until I played dark souls games were either the, the stories were either fairly simple or, or, or as simple in the, in the, in the context of this is the villain, you were the hero. Like, you know, they could be complex stories. Like final fantasy has probably never had a simple story in its entire series, but like, it's very, this is the guy, this is the bad guy. You know, this is the girl who dies or whatever. Um, Dark souls was really one of the first times where I was like, Oh, there's, there's, there's depth here and they expect me to like dig through it and find it out. It was, it it really reminded me of reading as a teenager, um, Stephen King novels, because I was a huge Stephen King fan and like pulling out all of the dark tower references he would put in other books, right. Just to, and try to tie up this weird meta universe. I got the same thing out of comic books sometimes of, you know, trying to pull out these hints in the backgrounds of panels and things like that. Um, but never, never picked on, up on that in Dark Souls. Like I would read an item description, but I would just be like, "Oh, I would, I don't need any of this plot. I just want what the item does. Me That's too. all I need." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is an alluring skull? I don't care where where the provenance. I don't care where it came from or who made it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, going and then realizing like, you know, somebody mentioning like, oh yeah, it's really, you know, big hat Logan story is really tragic. And I'm like, the, the, the dude with the hat and he's tragic. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> where, where did you start? You, you said you found that on the wiki. Like, did you start kind of embracing that? Did you just start looking up the, the body videos and the EMBs yes. and all After that, that stuff? I was, I was hooked. And, and I think I love the idea that like, yeah, you, and then just and the idea that, you know, and like the Vadi video, like Vadi kind of, he breaks it down into like, well, why is this item here? And there's a reason for it. And it's, I mean, it goes as deep as you want it to go or as, and, and I love that. Like the environmental storytelling, I think, and this is one, you know, this is just like my opinion and the way I, I view games. I think that's how games tell the best stories personally. And I, and I think Dark Souls goes as deep as anyone wants it to go. And I, I love that about it. And I think even like just these, these references to people in the game, like Big Hat Logan, they become these characters that are like these, they're, they're legends in the game. And then you meet them and they might live up to that and they might not. And to me, it's a lot like when you, you know, you've heard of mo- like quotes from a movie, like your whole life, like, like taxi driver, like the you talking to me <laughs> sequence. Like every, I feel like I'd heard that and seen it referenced and, you know, I'm sure it's been referenced like in the Simpsons, maybe it hasn't, I don't know, but like, you know, it's just sort of part of culture and like, and then you, and then eventually like you see the movie and you see that scene and it might live up to the hype and it might not. And I love that the characters in this universe and, and the lore in this universe does the same thing where it felt very referential of real life where it's like, yeah, the, like Big Hat Logan is this storied, powerful sorcerer, but he's also like, he's also like just a guy. And <laughs> and it felt like that to me. I loved it. I think that's the strength of, of a lot of the character work, specifically in Dark Souls 1 and 2, uh, where you meet these characters and they feel 
otherworldly but grounded like they're not yes they're not they still seem like people they just seem like people that um like if you go into a foreign country and meet someone who has a t- completely different you know lifestyle and and culture and everything from you and like like having that initial conversation of like, well, you know, breakfast, what do you guys do? I do toast. <laughs> like, what do you do? Yeah. And like, it's just something completely different and you, and you learn about them through the game and then you meet them and they say weird cryptic things and they laugh at the end of their every sentence. And you just, I know that's, yeah. <laughs> there's like aren't there those super cuts that are like dark, every conversation with NPCs, but it's just laughing. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen at least one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. God bless the YouTubers for making Franken all of yeah. the funny Dark Souls content. I'm I'm curious. You mentioned that you're a composer uh, and you work in video games. Yes. As uh, as you know, these games are, I think, specifically demons and dark and possibly Bloodborne. Like they're the soundtracks are are there and they're um, they range from anywhere from kind of quiet to weird to bombastic. Um, but for a majority of the game, you don't really get any kind of like. Um, underlaying music like you know you're on end berg if you really crank the volume up and put on headphones you can hear like weird breathing ambient noises but that's about it yeah um, how like when you i guess number one when you play games are you as a composer trying to like analyze any of the music or are you just accepting it or and have you taken any inspiration from the music of dark souls yeah, those are those are great questions and and i too that i think about a lot i i think i try to i try to have the in terms of evaluating the music in a game i just try to have it be part of the world um so i kind of take it i just accept it as part of the universe and you know of course music is always it always functions differently like depending on the situation i mean sometimes it can be diegetic where it's actually in the environment sometimes it can be an underscore to the environment um i mean that being said i I should, you know, I, I have to admit that I probably, I turn the music off in most games. Um, hmm. Especially if it's like a persistent looping soundtrack um, that I feel like, you know, is, is there, but not necessarily, like if it's just kind of there for tone, um, I'm, it doesn't, it's not a necessary part of the experience for me. And a lot of times I will, I will turn it off. Like, um, like I'm thinking of like Dragon Quest overworld music, like that, you know, that kind of repetitious, you know, good music, but just like it, you're going to yeah. hear it so often that you're like, this doesn't have any like import at this point. Yeah, that's probably a good example. And I'm not even sure. Like I, 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 when I played games like as a kid, I'm like, I don't think you had the option to like turn the music off. And I never did on like old, old school RPGs, but I think where it's probably a more extreme and maybe a better example is like a puzzle, like a mobile puzzle game that has background music. Oh yeah. That's going to go off immediately because to me, it's just not a necessary part of the experience. Um, I mean, I want like, I, I love like our like persistent RPG music. (laughs) I just, I don't know if now I would be able to like just listen to something on repeat that many times. (laughs) Um, but at least I think in that situation, it's more, it's kind of more part of the world building. Whereas like in a puzzle game where it's a more utilitarian game experience, I tend to think that it gets in the way of the gameplay. And that's just kind of how I think about stuff. I mean, everybody gets to decide what they want to do. That's why there's an option to leave it on or turn it off. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, so to that, to that end, um, in souls, 
I love that there's no music in a lot of the game. I don't because I don't think it needs it. I think the Souls series saves like saves its musical statements for things that are really important. And one of the things that's really important is, I mean, the music that I hear. I sometimes hear the, the Demon Souls music at the top of, of this show, but sometimes I hear Souls of Darkness. And what an incredible intro to first turning on the game and then taking that in and soaking it in during the character during character creation. To me, it's the most descriptive most like desolate beautiful embodiment of everything that's so cool about the design of this game and you soak it in as you're making your character and that to me is like that's musical functionality and world building at its best um and i love like the, so to me the music that works in souls the best is like when yeah when it needs to when it needs to acknowledge that something is important or to kind of give gravity and emotion to part of the connective tissue in the game now, I, and I'll temper that by saying, I actually don't love the boss music in Souls. And I, I might get flack for this, but I think it's, too, a lot of times I think it's too heavy handed. And I think it's, it sounds a lot like Carmina Burana, which I think is something that's over-referenced in fantasy. And, and I think to me, it's heavy handed and it, it, sometimes it does itself a bit of a disservice because it does when it's quiet, like in Firelink Shrine and you know Souls of Darkness, which I already mentioned, it, it does it so well. And I think where it's really bombastic, and I think in some places it needs to be, but um, that I'm, but I'm not sure it always needs to be. I think these these big boss fights sometimes are, you know, I think about this as a composer when I'm scoring something. Do I want to highlight something that's already there, or do I want to contrast with something? Do I want to bring something out that maybe isn't as obvious with the, with the music that, that, you know, there's an opportunity to showcase something. And I feel like a lot of times Dark Souls on big bosses just go big. And it's like, well, the boss is already big. This fight's already punishing. Do I need the music to also be big and punishing? I'm not sure. I think it's worth having a conversation about. I will say the, I mean, the music for Lord Gwyn is absolutely perfect. Like it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of boss music in the game because it changes the way you think about the fight. It, it immediately sets a tone, and it's it's a totally opposite of what you would expect from an embossed on from any other video game ever. Because normally, yeah. you know, it's going to be a huge spectacle. Like you've spent all this time getting here, we want to reward you for that. Like here's the special thing that you're going to see, and these special things that you're going to do, and here's an accompanying soundtrack to that. And then, you know, you walk into Gwen's arena, and it's just the you know just a piano. Like, yeah, and it's the, some of the saddest music you've ever heard in the game. And you're like, wait, what? And then this guy is just like literally attacking you with a giant flaming sword. And it puts you so off your guard that I think a lot of people would probably, you mentioned this earlier, just die in three seconds, right? Like they were, I don't yeah. know what's going on. My brain can't process this discordant information at the same time. Yeah. And, and I, and I think it, that's, a, that's an opportunity where the music highlighted something that, yeah, it doesn't give you that big finish that you're expecting. I, I think for me as a composer, like that, that trope of a big finish can sometimes be really frustrating because a lot of times you have to, you have to have, you have to create big moments in a, in a game or in a piece. And then you're, it's very easy to get kind of caught up in this slippery slope of always having to top them or it's like, all right, well the next piece has to be bigger and the next piece has to be bigger than that. And it can, it can turn into a screaming match pretty easily like in terms of just trying to top the energy level. And 
the Lord Gwen fight is such a great example of like, well, no, let's, let's take things down a notch. Let's have the music actually say something about this fight. And you end up feeling bad about, I mean, I did. It's, it's, it's sad. It's, it makes me think, well, it makes me rethink the arc of the game. Like are, are ONS actually the real final boss? They're the gatekeepers. Is everything else after that? Like just sort of, should I just feel bad about killing these old gods? I don't know. <laughs> did I do any good here? <laughs> like I spent 80 hours yeah. on this. Am I, what did I accomplish at the end of this? Like I haven't saved the world. I haven't saved the girl. The president's daughter is still missing and I just killed this old dude. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> totally. Yeah. But music plays a part in that for me. And I, and I love that. So I, you know, I can be, this is a situation where I'm slightly critical sometimes of some of the music because, you know, we've all heard sort of the big, like neoclassical choir kind of stuff in a lot of movie trailers, kind of the Carmina Burana inspired stuff, but, but it does what it does. Like, I think when it's, when it's, when the soul's music kind of functions like it does in the world where it becomes part of, of the lore, it's like, it's sublime. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That, that constantly ratcheting up is something that I think that the, the series has done. Like I, you compare and contrast demon souls with dark souls three, Yes. Not so that that's different composers. That's you know ten years almost. Like there's a, there's a lot of time in there, so it's it's not necessarily a, a fair apples to apples comparison. But I just think about the tone of those two soundtracks, and um, you know, it's from the very beginning. Like the the title menu of Dark Souls Three is like, oh god, I have to go search for my remote to turn the volume down. I forgot it was this loud. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that they can be over the top and a little too much TM sometimes. Sometimes. What, uh, tell, tell me a little bit about the the sequels. Like, have you have you delved off into to all of these? Have you played two and three? Obviously, you played Bloodborne, but uh, we I have. Yeah, I've I've played everything. I I should say that the only DLC I've played is Dark Souls two. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you I should even be allowed on here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have I I do have the Dark Souls remaster that I I I've got to you know I've heard so much about the Artorias fight that I I've got to do it soon but yeah so i i played um i think i finished dark souls probably i think dark souls 2 was out like or it had just come out within the last month or two um so i remember going and getting it the day like probably the day i finished dark souls 1 which was a huge mistake because it because i was judging i judged dark, dark souls 2 on everything about dark souls 1 mechanically lore everything it was very hard for me to have dark souls 2 be like an independent experience and it and i think it deserves to be evaluated independently so i played through it i got really frustrated mechanically about the beginning of it because it felt it felt so heavy and clunky and i was like why is it taking me 10 seconds to chug this estus like this is this is driving me nuts like it just the like the whole agility stat and the the thing that if, i think it was agility the thing that makes you like controls how fast you drink the estus um that bugged me and i i was like i maybe i should play demon souls so i actually put dark souls down dark souls 2 down and went and found a, a copy of demon souls and started that and and liked it but and then ended up going back to dark souls 2 finishing that and liking it but still having an issue like kind of comparing it to dark souls 2 i think where it or dark souls 1 where it clicked for me was just giving it a little time and then coming back to it for scholar. Like I loved it. And I think it was just time and space. Let me 
evaluate it on its own terms, which is tricky because it's like you want to evaluate it based on because it's a it's a sequel. So, um, you know, it feels fair to evaluate it based on on the the one that came before. Um, but I think I appreciate the design decisions that were made in in Dark Souls Two more now with a little time and space. Um, I wanted it to be a little more fan servicey than it was, which I think ultimately is a really good thing um, because we've because I th- then I got to find out how I would feel if a game if if another sequel came out that was even more fan servicey, which I didn't like. And I'm talking, of course, <laughs> about Dark Souls Three, which to me felt like you know in parts extremely fan servicey and and that's never been it made me realize that's never what attracted me to the series that the, what attracts me to the series is they make risky decisions. Like we're going to hide, we're going to hide one of the best areas in the game behind two illusory walls. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and, and I don't need, I don't need it to pander me to pander to me. And I don't know if that's exactly what was going on in three. I don't, the, to make that jump is probably unfair, but um, yeah, anyway, that's my brain dump about sequels. But I, but I did end up um, playing through demon souls. And I think, that ranks up there with, I mean, to me, Dark Souls 1 is, will always be the peak for me because it was sort of my entry. And I think it's hard to evaluate the series differently than, you know, based on kind of where you started. Mm-hmm. But I love Demon Souls. I mean, the old monk fight is incredible mechanically and just from a lore perspective. And um, the Storm Ruler, still <laughs> one of the most jaw-dropping boss reveals I've ever seen. I mean, just like so totally alien. Like you had yes. been led up through that area to to see these weird creatures flying around, but like not having any ability to fight them at all. They were just like almost this environmental threat as opposed to like actual enemies. And then yeah, you get to the end, and then there's a like all of this stuff happening. You're like, what am I doing in this game? Like I've been fighting skeletons for an hour. Like what do you what do you now? What do you expect me to do? Uh, one of one of the best moments in the games, and I think that that's. Um, going back to an earlier point we were talking about, like those are the type of moments that I want to protect myself from when it comes to like looking things up on wikis yes. or, or YouTubes. Yeah, uh, me too. Like there's, it's, it's those moments of surprise and, and where the game is specifically messing with your expectations that I also, I want to experience in person without knowing them. Um, but like, you know, mechanics and stuff like that, like I can, you know, tell me if resistance is the trap stat, but don't tell me about the crazy cool boss fight at the end of four <laughs> world four. Like, I don't want to know that. <laughs> it's interesting. I totally agree. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Help me not waste my time. Don't spoil the great moments for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a fine line. And I, I found the community to be like pretty respectful and, and pretty conscious about those things, which is great. Yeah. I mean, but I've with, also, yeah. Like I've loved kind of, even if I'm not doing it live, like I, I'll go back into the archives of like Bonfire Side Chat and I, I love playing the game in tandem with them because it feels nice to have just the, the feeling of like someone else is, is kind of fighting this uphill battle and, and talking about it. It makes you feel not so alone in this world, which is why, you know, I kind of want, I, I, I'm anxious to hear something about that with Sekiro because I, I've put it down for now mm-hmm. for a few reasons, but I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to derail that into, and that's a completely different. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's fine. It's, um, it's been interesting, uh, following Bonfire Side Chat through Sekiro because it's, 
I think everybody was concerned after Bloodborne and then leading into Dark Souls Three and specifically the DLC for Dark Souls Three of like, oh, they are yeah. they are they are really leaning into this like play style that is not necessarily the the careful dungeon crawling that Demons and Dark and Dark Two were. Like this is much more action oriented and it's 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 a it's a lot of you know perfect parries and things like that. And people are either clicking with that or not. And if they're not, I feel like people get very disappointed in from as a company. Like I feel like that's because people have built up from software as this as as this incredible game designer and they and they are like you know you look at demons through bloodborne and 10 years that's five games four of them with huge dlcs like i mean the sheer amount of work effort creative effort to go into all of that is mind-blowing and i think it's it's okay for people to be let down and put it down I'm, i'm curious though like we don't have to get into a a, a whole thing about it like the, a whole twitter debate about it but what was the thing that made you finally like i'm just going to put this to rest for a while what, what, what was the thing that, that turned you over there are two things yeah and we can i mean i'm happy i'm happy to talk about it and in fact i, I like talking about it but i agree there, there's been so much yeah we don't need to get like bogged down with all the mm-hmm. just because there's been a lot of just like shit thrown around too about it <laughs> yeah two things personally about me that and, and a couple kind of like ancillary things one I don't feel like I have the freedom to play the game the way that I know it's not a souls like, and I think it's, it's, I'm okay. I mean, from can do it from should do what they want. Um, and I, as a, as a from software fan, like I am happy that they're happy creating what they want to make. Um, that being said, I thought, I thought as a player in bloodborne and souls, I, I felt like I had more freedom to define my play style. And in Sekiro, it's, I feel like a lot of it, a lot of it is parry or die. And I, it's, and you, cause you can get through souls without parrying once. And I'd like that about it. And I think Sekiro doesn't, it feels like play it this way or you will fail. And I'm still trying to get my head around that. I, and I don't know if it's a fair evaluation, but to me, based on what I've played so far, it feels fairly accurate. Yeah, that's um, I, I I finished the game. I finished the game like several times now because I'm I'm that weirdo that you know I'm well, just, I just have to keep cool, going. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I respect that. Um, but you know, starting a new game is interesting because of what you just mentioned. Of you know, there's there's a limited amount of of ways that you can play through the game, and there there is no like archer only, right? There is no yeah. spell or caster only or, or whatever you want to do, and they aren't necessarily like challenge modes right like i know i could go in the game and not upgrade my health but that's i'm not gonna do that like that sounds terrible yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> i just want to like do something mechanically different and you know all of the games uh maybe bloodborne lesser to a degree but you know all of the games allow that kind of well i'm going to be a huge shield dude or i'm gonna be a naked club guy or i'm gonna be the guy with four bows for some reason like i can do you can do any of that stuff and it's and it's all viable and i think that's really interesting and i think that's going to be the thing that over the next five years or so, like there's not going to be that long tail that there was for Bloodborne or Dark Souls one because it's just it's just this. And once people do yeah. kind of the challenge runs, that's that's going to be it. And that's not bad. Like it's not bad no, that they made I, that game, but it's it's I it agree. is what it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think and and I think that that's exactly it. Is it's just a different. I part of me is like I, it's impossible not to, but I'm evaluating it. I'm I, I'm saying it's not a Souls like. I'm intellectually aware of that, but I'm still emotionally. I want it to be one <laughs> and I want to have the same decisions. And part of me is it's a little salty. And it's a part of that is because I feel a little bit, I, it broke my heart a little bit 
Now, I'll temper that by saying that part of this could, I mean, it could be sour grapes. It could be like, well, I'm pissed off at this game the same way I was pissed off at that first Black Knight, and I still have something to learn. So that may, that remains to be seen, whether, you know, I'll pick it back up and try to, try to, like, just, I don't want to say get good. I, I'm really trying hard not to say it, but I'm, I think, I think that's... Probably I would like I to. Mean. I would like to pr- increase my proficiency with the gamepad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, let's just go with that. But yeah, so the other thing about it, just from a lore perspective, I love how. And this is, I'm going to unfairly do it again, where I'm going to compare it to, to Souls. But Souls, you're this sort of like you're this unmolded piece of clay. You're the chosen undead, but you're but you're worthless when you start. You don't know how to do anything, and your character is you know that is a silent, you have a silent protagonist because they are completely like shaped by everything around them. So you become more powerful as you advance through the game with Sekiro. You start off as this fucking awesome Shinobi who like, I know you just had your arm cut off, like, but you, but you've replaced it. Like it's been replaced with this super cool prosthetic that like allows you to do all these cool things. And I feel like I am not worthy of my character in that game. Like I'm like, I'm so shitty and I'm portraying this awesome character. Interesting. And to me that has, that bugs me for some reason. And I, and maybe I just, that's like video games (laughs) where you just get over it, where you're like, no, you are, you are the character that you're portraying. But, but I feel like souls did it so well where you came into this world just as like, just some shitty scrawny undead. And, and you you grew more powerful. You kind of came into your own as you played the game. I love that. And I also love the way that Souls rewards exploration. I feel like in Sekiro, I'm not going to find a new sword. I'm not. I might find a new prosthetic, but I'm probably going to find a consumable. And it doesn't incentivize me in the same way to walk around the world. So I don't know. I feel I, I feel like I sound really down on it, and it's unfair. And because I because I'm not like I I love the gameplay. The, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm just still coming to terms with just how how punishing it is, and I think you know I'll I'll keep keep at it some, well, at some point. I'm curious how that um, how you, how you came to approach Bloodborne because coming from Dark Souls one and two, Bloodborne drastically limited the amount of your weapons and also yeah. kind of reduced down like the build variety. Like you can do an arcane build, and I've and I've done an arcane build. But until the DLC came along, it was pretty much just like, oh, I have an arcane thing, but I'm still smashing things with this sword or with this giant pizza cutter or whatever it is. Like, it's 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 functionally the same, um, unless you go out of your way to do a blood tinge build, which is probably not recommended for anyone because it's just yeah. too weird. Uh, it but- is. Yeah, it's super weird. I, the mechanic of, like, of I'm going to interrupt an attack by shooting you in the face <laughs> has always <laughs> felt weird to me in Bloodborne, even though it's cool. Like... I'm glad they. I like that they they introduced the the guns and you know the blood tinge system. But I mean, I think that's a good point. Bloodborne was in terms of builds and, I mean, yeah, like armor was mostly cosmetic. There were some resistances, but like it's not like armor is going to do anything much for you in Bloodborne. Bloodborne aside from the, your character's appearance, it's a good point. And I'm and I am kind of like just kind of the gears are turning in terms of like working through because I've thought about this before now, like. Yeah, what was it about Bloodborne that where those limitations didn't feel quite so punishing? And I think it's a couple of things. I mean, it, it wasn't as limited, so like I felt like I still had some choice, and I felt like I 
you know, the amount of items that I would realistically use, like I, I felt like there was enough variety. Um, but I also think it, it had enough in common with the rest of the Souls series so that to me, it, I still think of it as a Souls game. And I know that, you know, there's probably some that do and some that don't. But to me, it, it still rewarded exploration. It still had um, a lot of the same systems. And it just had such an incredible story. And, and I, to me, the, the, the story of Bloodborne and the feeling that I got when I played it, it was this, like this, I love like any kinds of, I love, I'm a real sucker for like mysticism and really any medium. And this idea that there's this, this world and, and all these things and, and the fabric of reality that we cannot comprehend because they're so much bigger than us. And, and being able having a game confront me with that feeling was such a cool experience. And to me, that's, that was what made Bloodborne special is this, holy shit. Like this game is, this game is about so much more than I thought it was. And it is making me feel like it's giving me this feeling of awe, which I don't really remember the last time a game did that. I think I got some of it from Fez. Really? That's an interesting comparison. I, I, I was extremely excited for, for Fez during the lead up to it. And then um, for whatever reason, just bounced off of it. And then like a, really? month, a month went by and people were like, <clears throat> yes, we have transcribed this different language and unlocked yeah. all of the secrets of Fez. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll just never play that again. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, had the, it had a very weird effect on me. I think that's fair. I mean, one of one of my friends who I worked on Tumbleseed with, he, he kind of, he did a very sort of like surface oriented run where he, he found all the cubes that are just like in the environment. He didn't find any of the anti cubes and he's like, I got what I, I got what I wanted from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, it's so cool when you go find all the anti cubes and he's like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I don't, I don't want to do that. That sounds interesting. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I'm like, that's cool. Like, yeah, you can, I think for me, just the only reason I, I compare the two sometimes is, is there is this idea of like, there's these, there's these beings that have more knowledge than we ever possibly can. And, um, cause there's some, there's some similar beings in Fez and just the idea of like, of trying to comprehend what that means to me is fascinating. And it, I, I think that, yeah, that's the only way I can just feeling of awe and Bloodborne communicated that for me in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, and I think that the world's, the world in Bloodborne particularly it's the perfect amount of sort of like loosey goosey storytelling. That's a terrible description because it makes it sound unfinished, <laughs> but, but it's the kind of storytelling that makes you think about something after like when you're not in it. And it's a, it's a real tricky balance because I think it's really easy to go too loose and then just have no thread at all. Um, and it's also easy to go too tight and have, you know, and just have the story spoon fed to you. And I think bloodborne, it just, to me, it left, it did it so well because it left me with a feeling and just the, the urge to contemplate this world. And I, to me, it's no game has ever done that in quite the same way. I, I, it's one of those games where I can't wait to just like forget everything that's in it so I can just go play it again. But I never will. I'll never forget everything. Like that first time, I mean, you get, you get brought to Yargul and, you're in that room and there's like everything, all the furniture is covered. And it's like, there's something that's so, there's something so unnerving about, 
about it, about just the whole experience, but just those environments are, they really, it's like existential dread. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) It is. It's, it's very much that like, you know, going into the, into Bergenworth for the first time and like seeing those, uh, garden of eyes monsters and like, yeah, what is happening here again? (laughs) What? (laughs) I mean, I've, I've been seeing some weird stuff, but this is, this is real weird. (laughs) Like it's just that steady increase in, um, uncomfortableness almost where, you just don't know what you could possibly see next. And it just gets weirder yeah. from there. Like it's such a, yes, it does. <laughs> it's such a triumph in that. And to me, the, the story of bloodborne works better, um, than any of the other games, just because it is a little bit, like you mentioned, a little bit tighter. Like it's not quite as loose as, as some of the other games. So you can, yeah. you can point to these specific things and you can create these stories, but it's still loose enough to allow people to like imagine these scenarios with NPCs or this implied lore thing. And that's, it's a really delicate balancing act that they just, they just freaking nailed with, with Bloodborne. They totally did. It is. It's such a hard balance. I mean, we've, and I think it's, it's a hard thing. It's gotta be a hard thing to control just from a creator standpoint, like just to really nail the balance. But I mean, I think it's like, it's philosophy. Like it, it makes you contemplate your humanity and this, the world outside of the things that you can comprehend and to have a game do that. It's amazing. And to be just like a great game mechanically <laughs> I, to me, it's, and also to be fun to play, right? Like that's yes. a, that's a, that's a huge thing. Like I've, I've seen games. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the witness, uh, but just like your your friend with Fez, uh, you know, the end game of the witness is like watching an hour and a half long hour, an hour and a half long art film to like solve a puzzle or something. And I'm just like, nope, that, nope, this is not fun. Like you're not, this is not a fun game that you you're making me play right now. So I am done. Like I, this is where I'm, I get off of the the witness train, and that's still really really that's, deep. So I'm not gonna. Yeah, like that's the beauty of games is you get to. How much of that of this am I here for? And like you can bow out at any time and still be like, that was a great game. I feel the same way about the witness. I got all the way to the very last puzzle. And then I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. I, I, I love this experience. Like, but I don't, for, for whatever reason, I feel like I don't need, I don't want to go back and find all the little things I need to figure out to, to solve this final puzzle. I don't know why. Maybe, I mean, it, I could be convinced that it, it would, it's just laziness, but I don't know. There's, there's something about it where I like being in the world. I like solving the puzzles. Like I got what I needed. <laughs> well, you mentioned you touched on the answer to this question a little earlier when you start talking about um, you know, the challenge in video games and overcoming that challenge and kind of wanting to teach your kids that. But uh, and can you think of specific ways that playing through the series from from software has has changed you either as a person who plays video games or as just like an actual person? I think. I mean, both, but I think as an actual person, like, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm self-employed and I, you know, and I do something that for a living that I think in a lot of ways can feel like an uphill battle. Um, and I think playing these games, I think, I think it's one of those things that kind of, it, it, the two sides feed themselves because like, I like these games because I like challenge because I picked a road for my, myself and my career that is challenging. But, but I think from the, the games can also sort of keep the momentum up in terms of like what feeds the challenge and, and what the challenge, like what rewards kind of come about as to the challenge. I think just playing games like this make me realize like if something seems hard away, like don't give up. 
keep going. Um, but also like know when to know when to stop, like know when to stop banging your head against this thing. I mean, that is a big part of the creative process for me is like, sometimes you'll just, I'll sit down and I'll write and I'll hate everything I'm doing. It's kind of like when I sit down and play like a souls game and I can't beat a boss. And the best thing I can do or the worst thing I can do is keep playing or trying to keep writing. Sometimes the best thing you can do is get up and walk around the block or take a break. And I think that's one of those things I think is a direct, like I'm sort of searching for like general, a general answer to that question and a specific answer at at the same time and maybe sounding long winded as a result. But I think the short answer is like, kind of knowing knowing when to take a break i think has is really is really directly tied to it because sometimes in souls the best thing you can do is take a break and come back and and be fresh and then you can have a much easier time and i think to me that's the creative process um it works very much like that because because a lot of times in a creative process you're trying to overcome something or you're trying to or maybe you don't realize it but you're you're growing as an evaluator of your own work and the part, one of the unfortunate consequences of growing as an evaluator of your own work is that you may be, for a certain time period, disappointed with what you're doing. And the best thing sometimes you can do is um, take a break, come back to it fresh. Sometimes the best thing you can do is power through. But um, I think Souls is a great. It's like such a. It's such a great like analogy to that process for me. Um, you know, and I don't let my kids play Dark Souls, but I, I want to see them do that in their lives where if something's hard, don't don't quit. Like, figure out a different angle. <laughs> Get behind the boss. <laughs> yeah, stab it in the butt. Um, yeah. <laughs> definitely going to help them with college applications one day if you just say stab oh, yeah, it in the butt. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that uh, Something you said really rang true to me, which is that, you know, as you become a, a better critic of your own work, um, it's it's sometimes frustrating because you're kind of failing to live up to what you know that you can do. I have those moments in Dark Souls all the time where you're you're like, oh wait, I could do a jumping attack here, or I could use this item, and this would make it better. And then you start trying to incorporate that into something that you've been doing for a while, and you just because it's new, you're fail you're you're doing even worse than you were before when you started some yes. something new, and it's just such a dejecting feeling. And then finally, you like get used to the whatever it is you're doing. You're like, okay, this is working now. I'm not I'm not just a terrible person. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, yeah, you go through the process of your yeah like getting better with something actually forces you to step back yeah and i think that that's i'm with souls and trying different builds i think that's a great example because yeah at first it's going to be harder it's like i have a friend that is really good at pinball and has like he collects pinball games and like and i found that when you're just trying to return the ball like if you're brand new to a game and you're just trying to return the ball like just keep it in play. Sometimes you will do better at first than when you actually learn the rules, the, like the, the flow of the table and the way that the rules work. Then a lot of times, like when I get to that point on a game, I will do app, like spectacularly terrible because I'm then focused on <clears throat> not just trying to return the ball, but actually aiming for certain shots and, and stuff like that. But then, but that's the only way you're actually going to get good. And that's the only way I'm ever going to beat someone's high score is if I actually learn the thing. And I think that that's a big part of it too, is like, yeah, don't just, don't, don't just start with the thing that comes easily to you because that's not the thing you need to practice. That's totally something that I think about in my own life and, and 
with my kids because it's like everybody likes to do the things that they're good at. Like practice the thing that you can't do. Like be okay with sucking at this thing. Like when you try the new build or you try the new item, you might suck for a while. Like lean into that. Well, Joel, thank you so much for getting up early on a on a Sunday morning and, and sharing My your story pleasure. with us. I this was this has been such a blast. I really appreciate it. This has been such a fun. Me talk. too. It's great to be here. I, thanks for having me on. Tell everybody where you can be found on the internet and the work that you have done, um, because I so think I'm people just, are going to be interested. Cool. Oh, I'm glad. Um, I'm pretty much just my name. Everywhere. So it's Joel Corlitz. Um, Joel J O E L Corlitz C O R E L I T Z, and so I'm JoelCorlitz.com. Uh, that's like my portfolio. Um, Joel Corlitz on Twitter, on under on uh, Instagram, I'm Joel underscore Corlitz. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, and I just want to shout out, um, like you, you just randomly added me on Twitter one day and was like, Hey, I've been listening to the show. Can I be on it? And I was, <laughs> I like clicked on your profile and was like the guy that did the Goragoa music. Absolutely. <laughs> I love cool. that soundtrack. Well, thank you. Um, and, and I told one of my friends who's also a big Goragoa fan, um, the same thing. And she's like, well, you have to have him on. You have to have him on. And I was like, I'm doing it. I promise I'm going to get it scheduled. Um, oh, good. Um, I'm glad. Well, and, and thank you again for guesting on the podcast. I very much appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for doing it. I love this. And it's a really cool thing that you do. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That ha- that site has links to all of the previous episodes. It has links to merch if you want to put a skelly on your belly. It also has links to a Patreon if you want to support the show directly. Thank you, everybody, who has been listening all this time. I very much, very much appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, until, we get to, until you hear me next time, remember, don't give up skeleton. And we're good. Cool. That was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, man, that was great. I had such a fun time. Me too. I love it. It's a. Uh...